This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros. My guest today is Jess Rothschild, who has an, a podcast I'm super interested in called Finding Fire Island. It's all about Fire Island, the history of the folks that live there, um, the folks that vacation there. And this is, I would say, the deepest deep dive into like recent lesbian history that I've ever had on the show. I, You'll hear it. You'll hear it in my voice. I am outmatched. And I have never been outmatched in terms of my complete and utter knowledge about lesbian history. So honestly, congratulations to Jess and will you teach me? Hey, also, do you live in New York or somewhere close? Please come see me at Joe's Pub, August 16th through 20th. You can go to CameronEsposito.com for tickets. Oh, I'll see you there. All right, sweet. Iris have uh, IRAs. That's how I'm doing. I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Oh my God, sure. Uh, my name is Jess Rothschild. Um, some of your listeners may know of me from way back in the day because I was a founding writer over at Autostraddle, like in a previous oh, lifetime. Wow, I actually didn't so- know that. So maybe some people might know me from that, but in my current iteration of life, I've been hosting a show called Hot Takes and Deep Dives, where I've interviewed people like Rosie O'Donnell, Sandra Bernhardt, like people who were super formative to my gay identity when I was, you know, in the year like 99, 2000, when I was graduating high school, beginning of college. Um, and so from there, I've been doing that for the past bunch of years. And just recently this summer, I launched a docu podcast series called Finding Fire Island, um, which if I interview people who I'm obsessed with from my my past life over there, I'm, I now created this, this documentary podcast of a place I'm obsessed with, which is Fire Island. So that's yeah, who this I is, am. This is a lot of why I want to talk to you, but because uh, of the Fire Island doc. Because I want to talk about that. I think it's super interesting. Cool. Um, but first, I want to just... Wait. Um, what era? Like, give, can you timestamp when you were a writer for Autostraddle? 100%. First of all, write, writing for Autostraddle is actually how I got into interviewing. I had never interviewed anybody in the past. And we were right on the heels of Kathy DeBono and Jill Bennett leaving after Ellen in a blaze of controversy. Is this time stamping it enough? Well, I mean, I understand what you're talking about, but I feel like this is already... We're deep in the lesbian drama. This is like deep dyke drama. It's like like history. Oh, Uh, I'm giving it all. You know, um, (laughs) so... Wait, Cameron, I have to ask you the million dollar question. What's that? Were you on the sweet cruise, which sailed into a hurricane with us? No, I wasn't. But I was on a panel 
I don't even know when this was, like at a time that isn't now, but that is also within the last six months. Mm, 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 mm. Um, Like I'm not currently on it, but it was in, it was with it. Yeah. Um, I was on a panel with like a bunch of like Fortune Femster and Aaron Foley and- Oh my God, were they talking about- And they were talking about that. Okay, you're talking about. this was 2010, I believe. It was either late 2009, beginning of 2010. It was right as Lady Gaga was like becoming huge. And we we went on this cruise. It was like the inaugural like whatever voyage for this lesbian cruise called Sweet no longer exists for reasons we can talk about later. And they had all the lesbian comics. Like, that's why I thought, like, maybe this actually could have been before your time. Well, and I didn't yet live in L.A. So I lived, in 2010, I lived in Chicago. So I feel like maybe they weren't booking uh You would have been there. Out of you Chicago. Would, if you were, like, a year <laughs> no, later, you yeah. would have been there. So literally, it's, like, a pre-Saturday Night Live Kate McKinnon, who I hooked up with on the show. Okay. She, like... Which is a whole other story. This is, hang on a second, this yeah. is completely <laughs> unlike what this show usually is. I it's just fully devolved into goss, which, all right. Yeah. No, this goss. is my specialty. This yeah. is this is how the sausage is made. And, okay, so there was a pre-SNL Kate McKinnon, literally, like, within that year, she was cast on Saturday Night Live, and we had to scrub all of our interviews with her and photos from Autostraddle. Because they right, were like pitching her to she SNL. Was on the Big Gay Sketch Show before that. Yes, and so mm-hmm. it's maybe the transition between doing interviews for that and moving to SNL. The Big yeah. Gay Sketch Show, which was a sketch show that existed on Logo, um, with Julie Goldman. Also featured it was- Julie Goldman. Yeah, these yeah, are that was- names that I honestly feel like. One thing that's interesting about this is like I don't know that people even know who we're talking about because even listeners of this show, like this is an internet denizen show. Like a lot of these folks are, you know, I don't know. They're like, yeah, a lot of the listeners are internet denizens. They like live in areas where they don't have a ton of community. They listen to the show to get community. And I think one thing that's interesting to me already about the era that we're talking about is that it's like, a little bit pre-internet, like 2010, uh, Twitter and YouTube launched in 2006. So it's still within the first five years of that. So like people were not transitioning onto the internet as like a platform yet. There were like people starting on the internet, but the comics who had already existed in rooms we're kind of just continuing to do that. So like Kate McKinnon being on the Big Gay Sketch Show, she was like from that. Like, it, and now I feel like if she hadn't gone to SNL, like folks have to do this big transition. I'm just, this is something I'm noticing in my own career is like, I am essentially having to start over in social media spaces, even though I like have a big Instagram following. It's like on TikTok, people don't yes. know who the fuck I am. So it's like this, you know, continual uh movement further onto like screens um so a lot of the folks that you're mentioning are these like formative lesbian comics outside of kate who 
a lot of them became writers. So like they're still active in Hollywood, but they don't, they didn't necessarily start at a time where they could have like high visibility because we're also talking about an era where like people didn't even know if they could be publicly out outside of the sweet, the sweet cruise. (laughs) To to give people, if we kind of zoom out a little bit to put auto, I mean, auto straddle is still around and is like the largest independent. I don't don't read it anymore. And so I don't know. Neither do I. And I don't mean that in a dickish way. It's just not, not something I'm currently reading, but it was so important to me at a time in my life where I like really needed our news. Yeah. So for the listen, so let me try to put this in context. We Autostraddle was the answer or sort of a rebellion against after Ellen. After Ellen had this, they were a monopoly on like the lesbian news, lesbian website within the house of after Ellen. They birthed a lot of these comics like, uh, Bridget McManus, I remember, um, and a couple of these other people would they would give them web series on. Yep, after I was on Ellen. brunch with Bridget, which is for some reason where you were in her bed with her. But that again, that's also yes. the snake is eating its own tail because that's like currently a format for interviewing people on TikTok. Yes, um, but some of the folks that so like Trish Bendix, who's somebody I've known since Chicago, yes. eventually became the editor of After Ellen. So she's been on this show and talked about this for longtime listeners. And then Reese Bernard, who was person who founded Autostraddle mm-hmm. also has been on this show. So like there is some of this in the water about what you're talking about. We've definitely covered like some of it, but I feel like you're giving a more expansive naming a bunch of folks and talking about things that we haven't actually talked about. So keep going, keep going. So why did I, oh, I, ba- I basically brought that, oh, because I was finding out if you were on this cruise. So all of this culminates in all of like the writers, comedians, all these like lesbian writers, lesbian comedians. I think for oh, Fortune Feimster was definitely, she definitely performed. And so anyway, the cruise sailed through a hurricane. Yes. And oh my God, here's another timestamp for you. Meredith Baxter had to leave the cruise early because she was spotted on the cruise. Somebody put the photo out there on Twitter. She had to fly home to come out to Matt Lauer on the Today Show. Yes, I believe this was also. Another I thing, love I guess, your, your face. Your face is unbelievable. <laughs> no, because I, I feel like I like heard some of this. But uh, there are some other things I think are interesting about some of the stuff you're talking about, because people that were like I'm saying, some of these folks became writers and so are now behind the scenes. But some of these folks who were around at this time ended up becoming like power players and they had different things that they were involved in. Like a person who had a web series on After Alan is Liz Feldman, who then eventually created the TV show Dead to Me, which is a very successful TV show. And I don't even know that people know it has a queer creator because we don't always focus on the creator of shows. Sometimes we do. Very I can't often believe I, I can't um, believe I forgot to mention Liz Feldman in my like. How did I yeah. go to Bridget Everett and not Liz Feldman? <laughs> so like, like how Liz, does that happen? Liz, I'm naming like, these completely unknown people. <laughs> like Liz Feldman's right. Well, there. no, that's not. I'm not saying that they're unknown. I uh, necessarily. I mean, it's just like interesting because this brain trust that was developing across this time, like Trish Bendix, who was the editor of After Ellen, she now sometimes writes for the Times, the New York Times, and. You know, so like huge show creators, big journalists, 
a lot of folks were like breaking in this like very specific lesbian media first. And then they went on to have these big careers, Kate McKinnon, all these folks. But there was an era where it was like a for us, by us moment, like when we couldn't have had bigger representation. Like Logo doesn't even exist, right? Does Logo I exist? Don't, what I don't is think Cable? So. Does Cable exist? I think Logo was bought by World of Wonder. Like when I hear Logo, I think Drag Race and that's under World of Wonder, which is housed under VH1. Like it's all yeah. media Yeah, yeah, they all became Viacom properties. Yeah. Um, I think that Logo maybe already was a Viacom property, but it just is like in a pre, you know, sometimes there are big queer shows on say something like Netflix. We kind of had this siloed experience. It's sort of what people talk about in terms of like lesbian bars for instance, because we were doing yes. that also in terms of media or cruises. Like it was this, I mean, and sure, yes, Meredith Baxter had to like flee to come out, but also those cruises even existed. And I guess like that still does exist, but I don't think that it, it's not secret in the same way or inside baseball in the same way. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! I want to go back to talking about Fire Island because okay, I feel like yeah. this is like a much bigger topic. Um, so I I knew about Provincetown before I knew about Fire Island. I never lived in New York. And for some reason, I just didn't get the memo that there existed a gay enclave out there. Like, I just didn't. I don't know. I didn't hear about it until like... Obviously, pre the movie coming out, I heard about it when I had friends who were going there. And specifically, my wife, Katie, lived in New York. And so a lot of her gay male friends were going there constantly. They were doing timeshares. She was talking about it all the time. Last year, I actually went for the first time. But I went to my friend Maddie's house, who's a straight woman. And we just went to the straight part of the island. Because there's also like a straight part of the island. Wait, you went to Fire Island, but didn't go to Cherry Grove or the Pines? No, I didn't. Because I was visiting a friend. So I this have is never this is been. Cameron, that's crazy. I've you. never been to this part of the... I, I've taken a ferry to not there. I've not, I've not been there. Um, I've been to Provincetown many times. Um, and I feel like the reason I'm making a you know connection is that like... It's really my sole experience with, I've performed like for Olivia Travel, which was like the mm. pre-sweet travel, lesbian yes. travel company. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying to think of, and I've done like festivals and things like that. But in terms of like a resort community, it was, it blew my mind when I went to Provincetown. Went there as a kid, went there in college, and I've gone a bunch as an adult. 
but I have no context for Fire Island. I don't know anything about it. And I feel like, especially in a post Fire Island, the movie world, I'm wondering if you could just introduce this to listeners who might be like me and have no context for what this is. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So first of all, I love Provincetown as well. Like I'm not like, oh, I like one over the other. I love them both for different reasons. So I can definitely like compare and contrast and give you the whole vibe. Yeah. I just lived in Boston for a while. So it was like something I heard about. I never heard. I don't, I mean, I just never, (laughs) I don't know why I had to move to LA much further from Fire Island to find out about it. So Fire Island is like 60 miles off the coast of New York City. It's 60 miles from New York City. And you arrive in this Long Island town. You can take the Long Island Railroad or you can just drive out there from Manhattan or Brooklyn, wherever you live. You get on a ferry, which is not like the P-Town Ferry. The Provincetown Ferry is 90 minutes. This ferry is like 20 minutes. It's also and smaller. Yeah. It's like a teeny oh, yeah. ferry. Yeah. It's As opposed pump- to like the the ferries that go. It's like a, those are like giant ferries. This is like a legit like ferry. You're like being ferried across. It's like very sweet yeah. as opposed to, because the, the Provincetown Ferry can be like choppy and there's people like vomiting off the side. This is very It's a different not, beast. <laughs> yeah. No, one, you're exactly right. This is completely not that. This is like, you're not going to puke. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> so... You get off the ferry and what's magical about it is there are no cars. And so the gate. So basically Fire Island, as you just said before, you you're like, well, how did I wind up in the straight section? Because technically Fire Island is actually like 15 or 17 little hamlets. By yep. the way, Tina Fey has a house in one of those straight. I was sections. in that one. Fair Harbor. Something. I don't know what it was. I don't know. Look, I've traveled a lot. <laughs> Very frequently, I don't know where I am. What I do know is that Tina Fey had a house there. <laughs> okay, then you were in Fair Harbor. Yeah. So wait, um, I want to I want to just go back one second because for folks who aren't in New York, because I, I think this is interesting too, is that like the Long Island Railroad connects to, you can just like, you can like take the subway to connect to the Long Island Railroad to then go out to this ferry. So the reason I'm mentioning that yes. is because um, Provincetown, which again is like this, the other, and I know there are others like Eureka Springs in Arkansas is a gay resort town. I've never been there. There I've are, never heard I know, of that. Yes, it's true. Um, and if you know of a gay resort town, please fucking send Sierra, my producer, a message and she'll get it to me because I, I don't know as of as many as I should, but, but Provincetown is for me specifically interesting because it is this gay resort town. It's also like Portuguese and like, Anthony Bourdain lived there for a while as a chef, but it is at the end of Cape Cod. So to get there, you have to drive for two and a half hours. You have to be able to afford a ferry that's long, or there are like little planes that fly. Again, it's like there, it is actually hard to get there. And I think that that also contributes to like who ends up there because it is a lot of white people and it is a lot of white people with money. So I don't know the vibe of Fire Island, but I know it's easier to get to. In terms of like, it's not that expensive to take the Long Island Railroad. I know that because I did it. It's not that expensive to take the subway. Um, you know, the fare, it's all, it's like a time investment, but you don't have to like rent a car and drive no. down for And here, here's the know, best part. Hours. No, absolutely not. The The thing, the biggest difference between a place like Provincetown and Fire Island is you get off the ferry 
and you are now in the magical land of queers. The whole world has turned upside down and everybody's gay. In these two communities, Cherry Grove and the Pines, the, or the, they're called, it's called the Fire Island Pines. And Cherry Grove is probably what most of the listeners have heard about because that is the quote unquote lesbian part. In Cherry Grove, we have oh, we have what? every type of listener, so I don't even know if that's true. You got to break it down. Even that, I don't even know if people know which one is which one. I did. I oh, did wow. know that. I don't know why I knew that, but I don't know that people know. Yeah. Yeah. So Cherry Grove, and there's a lot of. Hi- I mean, the reason why I did the podcast is because the history is unbelievable of yeah, both on. of these communities. So Cherry Grove was established. Cherry Grove started out as like this underground theater community thing um, that people heard about from Broadway shows, like the dress, the Broadway dressers, um, the what? backstage hands. Yes, they were all coming out to Cherry Grove. Cherry Grove was established much earlier than the pines cherry grove was like these funky cottages it was very like diy and it brought um tons of gay men a lot of lesbians and it was always very welcoming to is always always very gender bendy people who would identify now as non-binary or trans back then we didn't have the language but a lot of those people were coming out it was very like honky tonk the vibe was like come as you are very diverse Years later, the Pines was developed for the rich gay people who were over in Cherry Grove who wanted to have a lot more privacy. And so that attracted wealthier gay people from Manhattan and a lot of closet and a lot of closeted people, closeted guys. Oh, that's guys. really interesting. So the Pines was gay, but it was like an undercurrent. The owner of the Pines was this model named John White, and he was a closeted gay guy. He owned the whole thing? He owned the Pines. But like he he owned that town? He owned all of the business. He owned all of the businesses. That is wild. (laughs) Okay, keep going. Why? I need to own a gay enclave. Girl, me too. Do you want to do it together? What's the best? <laughs> yeah, no, this is my dream. He owned all of the businesses in the Pines. In Cherry Grove, it was, you know, eventually, like how it be- became lesbian was it was be- as a result of the AIDS epidemic because all a lot of the guys, so sadly, in the mid 80s, it's so interesting. People, how old are you? 41. Okay, I, I literally just turned 41. We're exactly yeah, we're like the, the same, same age. age. When you timestamped your high school. Yeah, keep going. Yes. So a lot. it's so interesting how a lot of people, even like the gay boys, like they don't know about AIDS. Like it's like they're like, what? I don't want to know anything about that. Like unless they're interested in That's history wild. and queer history, they don't really understand how catastrophic the AIDS epidemic was. I only bring – well, I bring this up because – as if you trace the rise of the AIDS epidemic, it rides along second the second wave of feminism, which was when women started earning a lot more money, lesbians were staying in longer relationships, and they just had more earning power. And so suddenly, these houses, which were lived in and owned by gay men who were sick and dying, their families wanted to sell those houses very quickly. They didn't even want to go into those houses. Like they were ashamed of their gay sons and their gay family members. So who winds up buying, who's, who is not afraid to go to a gay community in the mid eighties and who suddenly has more money? Lesbians. This is so interesting. 
So this is like a big part of the history. This whole AIDS stuff, this is the next episode that's coming out is centered on this. And you'll hear from people, like the guy who opens the episode, he goes on like this whole thing. Because I would ask a lot of people like, what were the best of times? What were the worst of times? And he talks about how he's like, yeah, I had a group of 25 guys and there were only four of us left. Wow. Yeah. And they all died due to AIDS. I mean, I guess I'm like kind of shocked to hear you say that like people don't know about the AIDS epidemic, but like I believe I think it. I'm talking also. younger like, people. I'm talking yeah. younger people. Younger no, no, I totally people. I totally get what you're saying. Like I think I just sometimes forget what I some I just sometimes forget where people are starting from that are like significantly well, think about, younger think than about us. people who are even 30. People even just a decade younger than us, they didn't live through, or people even younger, people who are 25, they didn't live through. Those are the people who don't understand why Madonna is so culturally culturally significant and what she did for the gay community. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like like Ryan White. I just think about like that being such a part of my childhood because that was like a young, like cute white boy who got HIV and and, and then that turned into AIDS and he died. He got it from a blood transfusion. And it was something that was all over television when you and I were kids because it was like the f- I it was the first face that was publicized to this degree of somebody that this is so fucked up. But it was like the idea that he was innocent of of contracting HIV as opposed to these men who were also innocent, but just having sex you know, yeah. nobody's like guilty of contracting HIV, but it was a very different face put on epidemic yeah. and then people like change. I mean, it literally like legislation changed because of this young dude. And so this is a time before that when like, I mean, the president Reagan like wouldn't even say the mm-hmm. word AIDS on television or acknowledge that it was happening. So this is all, I mean, the, another thing that I will say that it's like, in not to like harp on this, I, this is just the only place I've seen this in Provincetown. There's like a um, uh, area of you know, like outside of a theater or something. People who donated to that theater, they get like stones on the ground that have like the names of the donors. You know, what I'm talking about yeah, like it's like 100. that sort of setup. So it's not like a graveyard. It's like it looks like that, um, but it's at the end. It's like at the end of one of the beaches there's this area that looks like that and I, I came upon it one time on a walk and i hadn't seen it before i didn't know what it was but it's it's markers it's those types of stones but donated and supported by like spouses and or in a pre-marriage equality wow. time, partners and family members who want to memorialize um folks who spent a lot of their time in provincetown who might not have had kids and, you know, a lot of them have dates on them. So it's very clear why a significant mm-hmm. portion would be from, yeah. you know, this era versus another. But I don't even feel like we have, you have to like go to the end of Cape Cod to get that. Like, I don't feel like we even have lasting things that look like that, you know, well, out in the world. I mean, to put this, to, to take that thought, but put it in a different context. Yeah. Talking about like the memorializing of things. 
part of the reason I did this series was, well, I started because I was obsessed with the history of Fire Island. And some more of that history includes like so many old writers and artists like Truman Capote wrote Breakfast at Tiffany's on Fire Island. Are you serious? Yes. Jerry Herman wrote Hello, Dolly on Fire Island. Eleanor Roosevelt visited um, oh my God. so many of these like gay patron saints, like the the poet W.H. Auden. He lived there for a while. Um, like all of these, these gay writers and artists, this was an artist's colony. A Calvin oh Klein, like the whole Studio 54 crowd, like I, the episode that came out today, it's all about like the legends and sort of the lore, like the, it's like, oh, did this happen? Like, why is it called Fire Island? Even that is a mystery. Like, I, that's the way the episode opens with them. I asked everybody, like, why is it called Fire Island? And the truth is, we don't know. But there's all these rumors. So I like open it with everybody telling a, the ridiculous story they heard. Have you, this is so interesting to me also because, so have you, have you read Breakfast at Tiffany's? Have you read that short story ever no, in your life? No, I obviously I've seen the movie, but yeah. No. Why, why? So like this, oh, cause it, cause it's interesting in the context of what you're talking about because mm. that was like a formative. So, you know, I loved Audrey Hepburn when I was growing up because she was like a person that would be in movies that my parents was, were watching that like, I now know I had a giant crush on, but I was just like, yeah. I find this actor compelling, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was really into her. And in fact, I was so into her uh, that I- Became gay? Became gay, yes. No, I <laughs> I started reading a bunch of Truman Capote stuff and I and there's a short story collection that, that Breakfast at Tiffany's is in. And one thing that's actually very interesting about that story is like, so the movie's sort of like mincing words a little bit about- what is going on like like as a child i watched that movie and i was like this woman eats a croissant at tiffany's but then as an adult it's like oh she's a sex worker but that is so much more clear it's like not it is not is completely transparent in the short story and he had originally envisioned like a marilyn monroe type like not an audrey hepburn type like her innocence that she brought to that film was all like Hollywood choices. That was not his choice. So I say this because the thing you're describing completely matches with like that story, which I think has so much name recognition, but then is like misinterpreted over time. And I love that movie and I love Audrey Hepburn, but it was misinterpreted away from this like, you know, sort of darker version of New York that would be, you know, these artists and yeah. like bohemian lifestyle where mm -hmm. folks would be, like going to Fire Island sort of a vibe like yeah. that fits with which actually in that but then was scrubbed out yeah totally I mean let me tell you more of the history like so oh drag like was basically started in Cherry Grove like because people it was illegal to cross dress and so you, as a man, you if you were a single man, it was illegal to own a piece of women's clothing in your house. And so the wow. boys, yeah. the boys in Cherry Grove, I tell this story because so many people told me this story. It's in the Cherry Grove episode. They in the floorboards of one of the Grove homes, they're like these cute little cottages. They built a hatch. And that's where they stored all of their drag. And they would close the hatch and cover it with a rug for fear of raids. Oh, my gosh. I mean, this is something that Leah Delaria, who folks might know 
as like Boo in Orange is the New Black, but who's been an out comic forever. She was picked up for this, for wearing men's clothes in San Francisco. This is something she's been arrested for. Wow. Well, I mean, not currently, but Yeah, but no, 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 day. yeah. And she's like, you know, a person from now. I think it's, again, it's like hard. Yep. I think it's hard sometimes to understand yeah. how recent all this was. Like she's that... She's from now. <laughs> she still like, has know, a great Instagram presence. Like, Cameron, you know, like the tea dance that happens in. Pro- can I, by the way, I haven't said this and it's insane that, that at this point, in the, I'm actually in Provincetown right now. Oh, are you serious? So- <laughs> yeah. And I saw Leah Delaria perform yesterday. So I'm like, okay, I might oh, well come so out of the funny. closet about this. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm in an Airbnb in P Town, literally oh God, right now. So fun. I feel like yeah. <laughs> you're going to run into a bunch of my friends because a bunch of my friends run, run. Wait, can I ask you a question that I feel like we should have clarified earlier? Yeah. Do you go to Fire Island every summer? Oh, my God. I mean, I go mo- – I'm there like every other weekend. Do you have a timeshare? No. Okay. So what a, that's a really good question. What a lot of people do – so it, the difference between Fire Island and P-Town and the, the – in the first episode, um, somebody talks about he's like, when I go to Provincetown, it is a vaca- uh, like a vacation. I like to stay at, ho- at a hotel. I like to eat every meal out. I want to see three shows a night. Fire Island is share house culture. You are cooking with friends. This is a lot of like in the pines. They are cooking with their share house mates. Like you get food from there's one grocery store. That's the, the other thing. Provincetown, it's an actual town. Like you, you need a CVS. Like we got you. In Fire Island, good luck. Like we'll see you if you make it. Um, Fire Island, it's much smaller. Like it's tiny, and there's one grocery store in the Pines. There's one grocery store in Cherry Grove, and you're mostly cooking at home. In the Pines, there are no restaurants. There's like one pizza shop. And in Cherry Grove, there are a few restaurants and like there's there's a club and like places to dance and stuff in both. But most people in the Pines, like when you go on Instagram, my Instagram is filled with my gay guy friends from the city, like on the ferry, like going into Fire Island. And it is a gay Fantasia. There are no hotels. But again, I feel like it's like funny because, you know, there's a. I'm trying to because I, I meet I meet people who listen all the time, right? When I travel and do stand up, I always meet people who listen. And I feel like sometimes I feel like my experience of queer culture is like so different than somebody who who hasn't like joined up with, mm. you know, um, the entertainment industry with like people who work in media. I have so many friends who are like in like television, film, radio, t- you know, uh, who write for various big publications. And it's like, it's a very different group of people. It is sort of the extension of the group of people that you're talking about first migrating over there. And not everybody is fantastically wealthy. Um, but I do see in my, in my like summer feed, a lot of folks like at pools or like what you're talking about, having barbecues and like coming down with food and like wearing bikini bottoms. Like I see all of that and I Every, don't yeah. know how unusual that is. 
it's all share house culture. Like those are like six to eight people who like went in on a four bedroom house or like Joel Kimboosterks that I interviewed a lot of comedians are part of the series too, like Margaret Cho, Joel Kimbooster, Matt Rogers, um, Brian Moylan, who's a great recapper over at Vulture. And then I have people who've been there since like the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, like tell like the OGs, like telling their stories who are like so entertaining. And but yeah, the point is that those the people who you see on Instagram, like they're sharing, you're living, they're living together, which creates like a deeper level of bonding than say going to Provincetown where you may be staying unless you rent a house with friends you are you know ostensibly staying in like a bed and breakfast or like whatever so what do you do so what I do I've never gotten a proper share I grab long weekends like there's like a women's guest house in Cherry Grove and I'll go like a Friday to Tuesday wait what's a women's guest house like a gay guest house in, you know, like everywhere you What's stay in Providence. <laughs> like an air, like a B&B. Like okay. a bed and breakfast. <laughs> Got, it. Got it. Like not an Airbnb where like you, like there's somebody who's like, you're booking it. How do I explain this? You've never been to like a bed and breakfast? No, I've been to a bed and breakfast. I don't think I knew that that was it's synonymous the same, it's with the it. Same, it's so the same. So there's like bed. a, there's like an innkeeper and you're in like totally. little rooms, but there's like a common area and there might be scones there. You nailed, nailed it. it. Down nailed to the scone. It. Okay. Yeah, literally, I was going to say they might put out a little snack, but I left yeah. that out. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Understood. <laughs> and so there are a few of those in both the I want to stay there. You uh, Offline, yeah. you have to tell me the names of these places because I don't even know where to start. But Oh, I'll offline. tell you everything. I'll okay. tell you. And also, like, if people listen to the series, it – in the series, I tell you everything you need to know. Even like it truly marries like the history we're talking about with the modern day rituals of like these are places to stay. But like it's done in like a very fun like through interviews. It's all sound designed. Like it's very it's like serial but gay. <laughs> you like just, it. Everyone it was like somebody it. murdered? Um, it's got sex. It's got death. It's got drugs. Mm. Did we talk about a murder? Not not in such clinical terms. Okay, got it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so beyond, you know, I guess my question then would be like, is that your community? Is that your queer community? This group of people I that think you summon so. with? I think over the past bunch of years like I've always gone out to Fire Island a lot of people start out doing day trips because you can get there and back it's the longest day of your life but like you can do it <laughs> and like like the, like the, a lot of performers will you know like Betty Who just performed um Sandra Bernhard Margaret Cho performs mm-hmm. you know they get big names the way a p-town will drag right. race stars and so some people want to go out for the day um What was it? Wait, you asked, is this my community? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as I kind of grew out of doing the day tripper thing, I started staying there longer and longer. And in the past several years, when I really was getting entrenched with like the history and like meeting people who had houses and getting invited to dinner parties and like hearing all the stories, I would say, yeah, like this really has changed my life. Wow. And I think... It inspired. I was like, there's no piece of media that every 
there, first of all, there are very few pieces of media about Fire Island. And the ones that exist are either so like far in the past, like they're not even like up to date with stuff. Or the movie, the the movie Fire Island with Joel Kim Booster and Bo and Yang is great, but you would never know there was any of this history if you just watched that movie. Right. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I wanted to marry the two and like weave it in. I wanted to weave the history with the contemporary culture and the rituals, like how the tea, like you know how the tea dance in um, tea is a thing. Yes, know, it's in, like a in, midday party. It's like a DJ set in the in the early afternoon or like the mid afternoon, late afternoon. So, thi- so this four, started. Four p.m. This started totally. This started in the fifties on Fire Island. Because Why it did it start? Because I no, I didn't know this until I started doing research for the series. It started because it was illegal. First of all, being a gay was being gay was basically illegal. And not only that, it was illegal for bartenders in Manhattan to quote knowingly sell alcohol to homosexuals. So they started they didn't want the attention, they didn't want to deal with it. The bartenders wouldn't serve them. So they were like, let's do this on Fire Island, which already had this like secret underground community. And they would do it during the day so that they could get back home, like to go to work tomorrow. That is the birth of the tea dance. Wow. Disco start disco started in Fire Island. Um, they would break dance singles out there, like Donna Summer, and like the DJs were so influential into the music. Before they would play the music at like the Roxy or whatever the big nightclubs were in the city, they would see how the crowd was gonna react to it on Fire Island. And they could tell if they were going to have a hit. Is this what it feels like now? Does it still feel like that type of a, or is it like, or has it been like put through the wash a bit in that like some of that heat and intensity does come from transgression and limitation? I was, I was just in Portland and I went to see a documentary at a lesbian bar that was about, oh my God, I wish I could remember what it was called. But it was about um, like a community of women that Mm. would meet at people's houses because there was no bar. And in order to like talk about what house the next one was going to be at, they had like a Rolodex and they would like mail people information about it. And then eventually for the founder of the for the birthday of the founder, they threw like a sort of essentially a prom at like a vfw type place and then they kept doing that and there were you know caretakers of this facility who just kind of like didn't understand what was going on the quotes in the in the doc were about were basically like (laughs) they just kept being like why are these men so so like beardless you know as they couldn't figure out dying to know what documentary i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna come up with the name and um and send it to you but it but it's very you know nobody's like mailing something an invitation to my house like it doesn't that's not that level of like creativity and and that just that's just not part of my exact life these days i think when before here's the thing and i even say this in the series and i say this a lot on hot takes and deep dives i think culture gay culture was more interesting before we had the rights 
because it breeded innovation. It Everything is more interesting when it's a secret. It's why all these people who get into like illicit affairs, that's what drives a lot of that heat is because it's forbidden. And so when being gay was forbidden, I'm sure it was more exciting. And it breeds innovation, like what you're talking about, having like the underground lesbian railroad, like what you're describing. So now that like, it's just a free for all and like being gay, like what else is new? Drag queens, what else is new? It's no, it is a gay fantasia, but like it's totally accepted and like they find new things to fight about and new things to like bitch about. Well, do you I mean, that statement that you just made, it's it's interesting because, again, I feel like sort of what I was talking about earlier when I was talking about like you're in my for instance, like so an Instagram feed. Yeah, they like push some stuff in, but the algorithm mostly favors the people that we choose to follow. So what I was trying to say is that like you're in my experience of like how many people, for instance, are going to Fire Island is so different than the listener to this show who lives in Minnesota. Like it, they're not, that's, I'm just going to posit that like that's not what their feed looks like. Yeah. So I wonder if the statement that you're making doesn't necessarily reach outside of some of the cities and the friend groups that you and I know. Com- yeah, and, I'm And very at the same in- time though. Yeah. Those hubs are where a lot of po- folks move to make a living in a sustainable way while making art. So it's sort of this like catch 22 where like the pressure cooker it's like I think maybe the folks who w- that wouldn't appeal apply to are like actually just like double fucked because I don't know that like the computer programmer who lives in Minnesota is experiencing a hotbed of creativity when they're, you know, if they're limited. And Minnesota is a bad example. Uh, somewhere in Florida is a better example. I, but I, I think so I, I, I feel yeah. curious about that. I think for somebody who doesn't live in like LA, any like who doesn't live in like LA, New York, Miami, like Chicago, somebody who, or even somebody who does live in Chicago. I think if you're just living in a place where you don't have access to like a lot of like gay bars or gay culture or meeting gay people, I think come to New York, spend like, come in like September or October, spend like two nights in Manhattan and go out for the day to Fire Island, like make it a day trip. It won't cost you a fortune. It won't cost, it'll cost you like less than a hundred bucks, like, you know, just getting out there and come back and like get a taste of what it's like go to tea it's at four o'clock you can get back in time and like experience it and also the thing actually where how you you were asking like is there still like the underground here's what's underground it is still very hard to find housing there like it's hard for people like to find a place to stay so that actually is a bit underground and i find a lot of places through like there's a Facebook group where people will post like you can see who the homeowners are. And if you like get relationships with them, like you'll have like a Rolodex of people in your phone. Like I, these are like four people I know who rent out rooms in their houses for cheap for like 200 bucks a night. And you can share the room with somebody. That is still a bit of like the underground lesbian railroad. I think that happening. might be yeah. the only thing that Facebook is currently used for. Yeah. I, otherwise, they're from, they're, <laughs> yeah. They're in, they're in like these. There's a face. There's one for 
Cherry Grove and there's one for the Pines. And honestly, I read it, it's like my entertainment for the night. It's literally like watching Housewives. Like I will just sit in bed before I go to sleep and I will see what people have posted that day. And it's like its own like little Instagram. I find it highly entertaining. <laughs> You're in Provincetown right now. You're going to then go back to New York. I head back in two days to New York. And then you're going to go back out to Fire Island more times um, this I, summer? Yeah, I'll be back on Fire Island twice the last two weekends of August. And then in September, too. There's a trans weekend in September I'm going to. Um, listen, hit me up. People. I mean, number one, absolutely. Number two, congratulations on designing your life. Ah. In, I mean, I I thought I had created the queerest life possible, but I don't I don't know, man. I don't know. Here's the thing. I think I'm also you raised a you called me out when you kind of like you yeah. I think here's the thing. I'm from New York. Like I actually grew up on Long Island, which is where Fire Fire Island is off the coast of Long Island. So I think. I'm in a unique situation that like I've lived in New York my entire life. Not only that, I lived on Long Island, which actually is embarrassing, but it is where I'm from. So like, yeah, it's easy for me to like get the car from my mom and like I can take the train to my mom's place and like get the car. Yeah. Not everybody's. I mean, Long Islanders. I mean, Matt Rogers is from Long Island. Like I, we talk all about it. I mean, not at all about it. Like when I talk to him offline, we talk about it, but the, the point is this. The point is whatever I said before. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't and it wasn't meant as a call out. I think sometimes I think what I was trying to acknowledge is that I don't know what it is like for other queer people. There is actually like a limitation to my knowledge based on how I was able to set up my life. It's also how I chose to set up my life. So there is some agency. It's not like it happened to me like I did pursue this and so like that's awesome um there are some people who just like couldn't pursue or chose not to and so i think sometimes i forget it like that that's kind of when i i wanted to talk to you about this because it was like i know that people were aware of the film or at least i think they are i don't even know i know people have watched barbie like that is what ah! i know <laughs> like what exists in mainstream culture but like yeah. i have been so invested in our culture our history for so long that i don't know i don't know what it is like for folks i don't know if people even know what provincetown is for me i think certainly they've heard of it i mean these places I mean, even someplace like Key West or Palm Springs, people know that these are like gay-ish destinations. But when you hone into down like Provincetown, Provincetown is very, very gay. But Fire Island, if you go to Cherry Grove and the Pines, when you step off that ferry, there are no cars. It's I don't know if I mentioned that. There are no yeah. cars. So like it's this great antidepressant where like you hear no sound. Like at night, it's silent. Well, I wouldn't say it's silent. You're hearing music. <laughs> but the nature and there's all of this. And what's different about Fire Island 
it, with Cherry Grove and the Pines is it is 97.6% gay. Like you may say, see some like day trippers, you know, you may see some like a table of straight girls, but like get the hell out of there. Like go back, get out. Like they're going to go. They're not going to spend them. They don't spend the night. It's a place where when you wake up in the morning, it is all gay people and young gay people. So maybe people do know this, you know, like I said, I don't know the answer to it, but I'm, I'm glad to like give folks the info in case, you know, especially in the summertime when I feel like, you know, not everybody has disposable income to vacation, but if you do, I feel like, like where to go, you know, to feel accepted and to feel comfortable. I don't know that that's like completely easy to you know, deduce. <laughs> um, and so it is yeah. interesting, especially what you were talking about, about like day tripping from New York, because if the housing is so limited, then that seems like a That's what makes it idea. Go see a fucking Broadway show. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, that's, that, ma- that's a big yeah. trip, but it's like, what an awesome trip if you can manage it. It'll be the greatest three days of your life. And or you can even skip the New York part, just like, find a place to crash for a night and then like go out to fire island for a night and also you're talking about the summer like that is high season after labor day the crowds thin out and it's local and the weather gets cooler it's not so hot like the seasons obviously with global warming are getting longer so like all through september and october it is gorgeous and like there are no tourists it's like just like us like you're not getting any of this you know the hetero riffraff in there and i would really say and it's so much cheaper because it's quote unquote like on the off season and i would say go to cherry grove if you're like where do i go cherry grove or the pines the answer is cherry grove i want to like really underline that because that is the queer community if you go to the pines it's more of a male experience so i would say start and like you can walk over to the pines but Cherry Grove. So go for my birthday, which is in October. Stay in Cherry Grove at a place you're going to tell me about. Join a face group, book group. Become friends with somebody who has a house there. Eat a scone. Tea dance. Go happening. back to Manhattan. Come back the next day. It's it. We've we've solved. No, it. you can find a place to crash. You don't have to cut. You just it'll. But happen. just for you'll, the you'll idea, see. just to get the full yeah. experience. I'll I'll yeah. I'll force myself to day trip just so I can know <laughs> what that horror is like. It does, well, wait, does, aren't you coming? Like aren't you coming to New York for shows? Yeah. Do you want to come? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I would love it. But I'm okay. saying okay. you should go to Fire Island. While I you're know. In New York. So I I, feel I like can I help you with this offline. Okay. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Great. I can't believe that that's how the podcast is going to end. But I guess it is. <laughs> um, so before I send you back into your day, which is. Mostly, I'm assuming, going to include, like, oysters and lobster. I'm seeing Judy Gold tonight. Oh, my God. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And wait, when did you say you saw – did you say you saw Margaret Cho recently? I saw Leah Delaria last night. Oh, got it. Listen, because I was like – I was on a show with Margaret Cho last night. So what is she capable of? No, 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 no. If you saw her also in Provincetown. No, not last night. She took a time travel device. (laughs) That's hilarious. Because maybe – this is awesome. And I feel like there's a lot of other stuff I want to talk to you about, but it's we're out of time. So I want to ask you to shout out a queero, 
which is a, a person, place, or thing that made you feel like you could be who you are today. Okay, your li- your listeners, <laughs> this is going right back to where we started. This is going even earlier. I'll throw out two. I don't know if your listeners are going to know who these people are. Okay, number one, Guinevere Turner, who... Oh, yeah, of course. Wrote- Go Fish. And Go- I... I got to be on a panel with her a long time ago. I don't know if she knew how I, excited I was. I'm still in love with her. I went to her, like, she had a book signing and, like, a birthday thing. And, like, I'm in love with her. She has a girlfriend. It's annoying. But, like, I'm, we're obviously the match. And she literally changed my life. And I was like, oh, okay, I can come out. Like, there are people like me out there. And that was in, like, the year, like, 1999. And she named it The L Word. She was a, she played Gabby DeVoe, Alice's ex-girlfriend, on The L Word. She did. And she, she also was wrote a, American Psycho. She wrote the, American the Psycho. She was a writer for the first two seasons on The L Word. And I did the greatest interview of all time with her on Hot Takes, in which she talks about dating Portia de Rossi before Portia was with Helen. So go listen to that. Wow. I mean, yeah, you've got like, it's funny. I never, I don't think I've ever talked to somebody on this show who has deeper and like broader knowledge of lesbian culture than me. It's weird. I don't know actually how to handle this. I I have felt behind the ball the entire interview. Because I, I the, truly, I'm usually like, oh yeah, because that relates to this and that. I don't so you're saying I'm you. the new host of the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, want <laughs> Do you want the show? Oh my god, I got enough gay shit going on. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> I got too that much. That has never happened before. I've been doing this Listen, show for like six years. We're gonna hang out. I'm gonna tell you where to stay. It's all gonna be solved. Do you, and you're gonna like, and you're gonna bring up stuff I don't, I don't. We're just going to... No, just you're going to know it because we're the same. Here was the just, other person I was going to mention. Yeah, come on. We'll see. Here's the other person I was going to mention. And sir, I know your listeners will have no idea. This is just for you. Do you remember... Did you watch... Were you a real world fan? Early, early... I, didn't, I wasn't allowed to have MTV growing up. So okay. I... It's like a slightly... Are you going to say Beth? No. Genesis from the real world, Boston. Oh my God, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is, but it's it's a it's not a real it's a it's an MTV deficit. I I didn't have cable until like at a, a time that was too late. To, it's your parents' fault. It's not your fault. It's, you know what? Honestly, so, I'm sorry, mom and dad, but this one truly is on you. I'm owning a lot these days. I've grown up, but like this one, you fucked up. <laughs> Wait, can actually, I can I tell you? This is this is. <laughs> We'll end on this, which is uh, my parents. So I wasn't allowed to have MTV. And then I finally was like, I need to have MTV because I was obsessed with my so-called life. They were airing it on like ABC had aired it and then they were showing it. They were re airing it on MTV. And I was like, I need to have this. I need to have this in my life. You have to get MTV. I finally convinced my parents. My dad came home from work. I was, it was like day one of me watching MTV. My dad came home from work. He like walked in the back door. The TV is visible from this like, you know, little mud zone where you take your shoes up. And it is the MTV Movie Awards. And Sarah Michelle Gellar kisses Selma Blair. Like literally in the moment he walked in, he was like, because the reason I wasn't allowed to watch it is because they were super Catholic and they didn't want like 
outside in like I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons or Ellen. Like they had like really strict rules around like cursing and lesbianism. And my I'm like Dad, so, like first of all, MTV so- is like not even like that, Dad. It's like it is like chill. It's like it's like whatever. He walks in. I think that they canceled it. I'm so glad that you evoked Sarah Michelle Geller and Selma Blair into this conversation because the other night, so I've been here in Provincetown. I was with my friends. We rented a house. It was like we ate dinner. It was kind of rainy one night. Like we were out to dinner. I'm like, you know what, guys? You got two choices. We're either watching But I'm a Cheerleader or Wild Things. And my friend Andrew goes, we're watching But I'm a Cheerleader. And we all sat down. And we fucking watched that. And let so, me tell you. It holds up. Anybody listening who has not seen But I'm a Cheerleader, it still holds up. Yeah, it does hold up. And it's amazing. Yeah, Clea it is amazing. Duvall and Natasha Lyonne are so good in this movie. Annie Young, Melanie Linsky, and RuPaul. I mean, I don't have to tell you, but yeah. <laughs> See, this is where also, that is one of the only things I don't actually own a copy of. I thought you were going to say Wild Things. I was going to say, I own three copies of Wild Things. That's not, you don't need to own that. Two are on VHS. I don't have a, I don't have a, I don't have a VCR. Why do I have this? But, (laughs) but this is the level of commitment that I'm talking about. So how you have brought more than this, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to say to us. Listen, let's wrap it up. Okay. I'll see you later today Yeah, when I definitely fly to Provincetown directly <laughs> from L.A. That's not an option. Thank you so much for <laughs> Thank you. all the info and for being on the show. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network. Of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.